Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we are broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart. And this show is most definitely all about the heart. We love hearing from our listeners. Connect with us on Twitter at Lisa Kamen and at HH underscore talk radio or like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. Today we are talking about mindfulness through the hands and the heart, through quilting. And many of our listeners may not have ever been exposed to the beauty of quilting, the beauty of the process of sitting in a circle and making meaning out of fabric and stitch with our hands and in conversation. But my first guest has done just that. She's been doing it for a long time. Ruth McHaney Danner has won numerous awards for her quilting and donated countless quilts. She lives and quilts in Spokane, Washington. She's written a wonderful book that I have by my side here that I've been enjoying called Making a World of Difference One Quilt at a Time, Inspiring Stories About Quilters and How They Have Touched Lives. Welcome, Ruth. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a joy for me to be with you today, Lisa. Likewise, I am intrigued because I'm a city girl. I, I, I live out in the country, but I'm a city girl and have not been exposed to the, the traditional quilting. And, and actually, it's become very contemporary and artful how it's evolved. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the art of quilting, perhaps a bit about the history of it, and then how it ties into being of service. Well, sure. The history of quilts goes back thousands of years. There have been some archaeological discoveries that have shown quilts to be back in ancient Greece or ancient Egypt. And uh, we could talk about that for quite a while, but it fits with uh, people's bed covers and also in um, warriors' uh, outfits, the the clothing they wore to protect themselves, at least in some part, was quilted clothing. So it goes back thousands of years. But more recently in the United States, quilting was a 
necessity. Back 100, 200, 300 years ago, women had to make quilts to keep people warm. Their families had cold houses in the winter and they needed they needed layered bed covers and they discovered quilts. And in many cases, they put in the middle of those quilts, they would have a top and a bottom or a backing of the quilt. And in the middle, they would put any kind of stuffing just to give an extra layer of warmth. And uh, they have done this for so many years and they have quilted by hand or tied by hand. And it's a labor of love because it's not something that can be done overnight. It has to take uh, several weeks usually to make a quilt. Even a simple one takes quite a bit of commitment of time. But women mostly, although many men have been involved over the years, making quilts of necessity many years ago. But you asked about more modern quilts, and recently there's been a resurgence of interest in quilts, thanks in part to some a few quilters in the Appalachian Mountains and in the, uh, the rural areas of Georgia and other places in the South, Quilting never went out of style there, and there's been kind of a rediscovery of it. And now we even have what's called the modern quilting movement. And uh, it has quilts with big, bold, geometric colors and designs, and they're very much works of art. They're lovely and quite different from traditional, but there's still this connecting uh, thread, if you will, of quilting from way back to what we have today. And in terms of the process of quilting, what I find so special about it is this sense of presence and mindfulness that happens when you sit around and, you know, for lack of a better better expression, and please excuse the, the terminology, stitch and bitch, you know? (laughs) Yes, I know. And this is what women have been doing over the years uh, since, since way back. They have been stitching together. Many times they quilt or, or work individually, but this whole concept of the quilting bee has come together over the years and women gather when back years ago, they didn't have much of any other social life and they gathered in one person's home and there would be a meal together and they would sit, as you said, and just talk with each other. They would talk about their lives, how to deal with problems in the home, if it's a child that's teething or whatever the discussion would be. And they would talk about their lives and they would intertwine as you you use the phrase mindfulness. And I think that's exactly what they did to to be mindful let's discuss this let's let's talk around the room in what's going on in our lives and they connected with one another in a beautiful way all the while that they were making quilts there is a a line from your book and i believe um somebody talks about the quilting circle as being the secret society of goodness Yes, yes. That was written by Kathy Miller. She is known as the singing quilter in Canada. And (laughs) I met her when she came to do a quilt program at my quilting guild here in Spokane, Washington. And she likes she she likes that phrase because it is it is a society of good. There are quilters who who do the work and not only make quilts for themselves and for 
uh, for their children or family members, but also for other people. And uh, there is a tremendous society, uh, unofficial, if you will, society of quilters who simply do that. They make quilts for other people to help uh, raise their uh, standard of living or help to um, make some improvements in, in their their lifestyle uh, in many, many ways. And there are dozens of these, uh, scores of these that I described in my book. And this is something very special because the, the quilters often are anonymous. They sit in rooms um, with friends. They generously uh, create these works of art with purpose and intention. I mean, they're, they're meant to give warmth. They're meant to be artful. They're meant to be um, random acts of generosity, kindness, and service. They're, it's touching a lot of angles of well-being. Yes, it does. Uh, I can give examples of people who make very simple quilts that are sent to uh, poverty-ridden communities around the world, India, Pakistan, uh, Cambodia, and so forth. And they are used in a variety of ways. Mothers can use them to wrap their babies. Women can use them as a, a carrying sack to take their potatoes or other things to the market to sell them. There, there are many things that simple quilts can do like this. There are also more complicated and Art, artistic quilts that can be made and sold at a at an auction to raise money for a great cause and, and there are varieties of causes from national monuments that need refurbishing to uh, grandmothers in Kenya that need simple help to uh, take care of grandchildren and so there are so many quilts that can be used in so many ways all to make a difference in someone's life. Which brings to mind uh, a very famous project that I haven't heard about in a while, but I remember when I was a, a young student under, in undergraduate school in Boston, the AIDS quilt came to town and it was the entire quilt was, was brought in and laid out in the armory in the city. And it was absolutely breathtaking for many reasons. Yes, I saw a part of the AIDS quilt myself when I lived in Texas, and it covered the floor of a gymnasium. And it was, you walk into the gym and you just gasp because of what you're seeing there and the memories and the touching stories that go with them. It was, it was a marvelous thing to see, a sobering thing, but also a joyful thing to consider how people would make a panel for a quilt in memory of someone who had passed away. And I, I will always hold on to the memory of seeing that quilt, as I'm sure you did too when you saw the one. Oh, yeah. It, it moves me. Recalling that memory moves me to this day because there were hundreds of stories contained each separately on these quilts. And when they came together, that once again wove an even bigger story and picture of what needed to happen. You know, the, uh, in terms of awareness and finding a way to responsibly manage and help these men and women that at the time contracted what was known as a death sentence that has since changed. And in part due to the awareness and power of projects like this. Oh, yes. And that's exactly what what the eggs quilt was aiming to do was to um, help people, those who survived, help them o- 
to deal with their grief in a tangible way. And I think that that's what quilts do for people, whether they're literally grieving over something or whether they're doing some other thing to promote a special cause. But it's a tangible thing that people can see as they look at a quilt like that. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to carry on the conversation with Ruth McHaney Danner about her new book, Making a World of Difference, One Quilt at a Time, Inspiring Stories About Quilters and How They Have Touched Lives. To learn more, please visit ruthdanner.com, and on Facebook, the page is One Quilt. Is that right, Ruth? That is correct, yes. Perfect. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, it's free, it's legal, and we're talking about a different kind of mindfulness. And this is the mindfulness of the hands and the heart that goes along with quilting. That's right. The quilting bees or quilting circles of yesteryear are making a resurgence. And with me today in the studio is Ruth McHaney Danner. She is the author of Making a World of Difference, One Quilt at a Time, inspiring stories about quilters and how they have touched lives. Ruth, we were talking about the AIDS quilt project, which is now decades old and does live on in in some form. But really the point of your book is how people serve through using their hands, through their heart, through donating their time to make the life of another just a little bit easier and more gentle. 
Yes, I think a, a big part of who quilters are is how they want to serve other people. It seems that quilters are in general, a very generous lot of people. I know I'm making a blanket statement, and I didn't mean to make a pun there, but there it was. But um, uh, <laughs> but up, it, up. <laughs> it, okay, um, it seems that quilters are very much a, a group of people who like to help other people. And from years ago, if if for example, uh, out on the prairie there was a fire in someone's home and the home was destroyed, the women around would gather and. And pick up a group, a, a, a stack of their own quilts and give them to the family affected by the fire so that they would have some bed coverings as they try to recover from their devastating loss. And quilters have done this through the years. And even today, quilters, I, I'm a member of a couple of online groups. And my goodness, every time I turn around, they're making a quilt for someone who has cancer or they're making a quilt for a newborn baby who was born with some sort of a, a health issue. And uh, they are always, it seems, involved in helping other people people with quilts. And, you know, I, I want to add that when we serve others, whether it's through quilting or some other kind of social service activity, um, by giving something of ourselves, it does make us happier. It elevates our well-being. It, it elevates emotion. It connects us with community. Um, it inspires us to be cooperative, which is very much a part of a, a democratic system. You know, when we when we look out for one another. Yes, that's true, Lisa. We we do enjoy helping each other. And it doesn't have to be quilts. That's my subject. But it can be shoveling the snow from your neighbor's driveway or taking cookies to an elderly uh, uh, shut-in. It can be any type of thing. And there's there's a deep joy in that. And I think it's joyful when you can do it anonymously, but it can also be joyful when you do it as as a group and together you combine your skills and make a quilt or make a series of quilts and, and pass them along to someone in a poverty-ridden country. You don't even know the person who's receiving that quilt, but you smile and you think, oh, somebody's got that quilt. Somebody is going to be wrapping a child in that quilt, the very one I made. And uh, it's, a, it's a great feeling. It's a happiness. It's a deep down joy that cannot be bought by money. And uh, I, I, another quote in your book that, uh, that caught my attention was that many hands make light work. Yes, I think that was a quote from my mother who said that often when she needed us kids to help, you know, with a job, whatever it might be. But uh, it's very true in quilting. Quilters often do the piecework that is just putting the blocks together. They do that often by themselves. But when it comes to setting the whole quilt together and quilting that is the handwork that's done by many quilters they often do that with a group and they have just like the pictures that you would see in the uh, older older magazines or or books about early america they sit around a quilt frame and they all have their needles and thimbles and they quilt together and they work on one project together and it's a it's a joy there just to be with a group and to know that something somewhere this quilt is going to be used to help someone else. 
And what's interesting about that connectivity, you know, being in the presence of another, doing this sort of um, mindful work that is really gifting something to somebody else, um, we feel as though uh, it matters. You know, like you said, it's 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 anonymous, but that we're really doing something to to support a cause, to support somebody else um, that puts aside our own ego, that puts aside our own needs temporarily, which I know for myself and clients that I work with, if one is struggling with depression or the blues, this is one of the surefire ways to switch that off and switch on elevated emotion. Yes. When either, whether you're receiving the quilt or giving the quilt, in both cases, it does lift your emotions. Many times quilters, uh, some of my online groups will say, oh, I'm just I've got the blues today or I just don't feel like doing anything. But I go into my sewing room and I, oh, I see this project that's half started. I think I'll work on that a little while. And within an hour, that person is has just transformed into a joyful person again because she's working on something that's going to go somewhere not of herself. It will be given to someone else. And when she puts herself into the the mode of serving others like this, she just becomes a happier person. And I think that's true of almost all people. And you know, it's interesting, because it really is almost like a spiritual practice, what you describe. And there are many people who um, have a very difficult time embracing spirituality. And what I love to share with people is that it can be approached from several different angles. And the, the notion of quilting as a vehicle for expressing that concept of being a part of the larger picture is wonderful. It is. It is. And I think sometimes people may not even realize that unless they start doing something. And again, we're, we're talking about quilting, but it can be any type of service, doing something for other people. It puts our mind off of our own issues and puts them on another person's issues. And it's, it's, uh, it's a, a thing that will give us an avenue of joy even though we may be facing troubles ourselves when we are sitting down quilting, we're thinking of the person who will receive the quilt and making that quilt is a, is a really is a pleasurable thing. And it gives us a joy that really cannot be measured any other way. I think you're saying something very interesting about, you know, almost as putting intention with each stitch that it's that, that the mindfulness is not just the presence of making the stitch, but it's holding in consciousness the fact that this this object, this this piece of warmth is going to touch somebody's life um, is is very powerful. Actually, it's quite it magical. Is. Yes. Uh, one of the people I interviewed had had told me a story about making a quilt for a child with cancer. And she said she had done many of these quilts. And she said the hardest part is the very first, when she hears about the child who has cancer and is going through chemotherapy. But then she says once she starts making the quilt, it's just, it's pure joy. And she used that phrase, pure joy. And she said, whenever I'm making the quilt, I'm praying for that child the whole time. And 
it's a joy for her even though she doesn't know the child it's it's happiness that she feels in working together together with the fabric with the stitching with the the needle and thread to make something wonderful for someone else you mentioned that your mom talked about many hands make light work was she a quilter and did you learn from her Yes, I did. My mother and my grandmother both were quilters. And in the early years, grandmother especially quilted out of necessity, just as I described. She lived in Arkansas and she had a a cold house. She was a full-time school teacher and piano teacher, but she also had uh, time in the evenings to quilt. And she did that and passed on her skill to my mother, who then passed it on to me. So I have a heritage of quilting. And you also have a sewing room that is overflowing in many ways. And I'd love for you to give us an image of what that looks like. Well, if you walk in, you have to walk in very carefully. Quilters use the term UFOs, unfinished objects. <laughs> and I have a lot of unfinished objects in my quilting room. I have a design wall on one side that's made of flannel, and I can just slap things on it and look at how they will go together, uh, colors and pieces and shapes. And on another wall, I have just shelves of fabric in boxes and bins, And then on the floor, that's why you have to walk carefully because it's scattered with all sorts of things. But it is my happy room. I love to be in there and I love to pick up something. And even if I'm there for only a few minutes, I can do some kind of work and uh, accomplish something. And it's a great place for me to be. Oh, it sounds like fun. Sounds like a a curiosity shop. We are about (laughs) out of time. And I want to just give our listeners a heads up on where they might start. If they're interested in quilting, would they go to their local craft store? Would they go to a sewing store? Would they go online? Which would be the easiest first line to learn more? I would probably go online right away and just um, use your search engine and look for quilt groups or quilt charities. And I found a bazillion hits on just that topic, quilt charities. That might be a good place to start and then go to a sewing store or a quilting store nearby and uh, make some purchases and get some advice from them. Even if you haven't done it before, they can tell you how to start and where to start in a simple way, and you can be involved in something really bigger than yourself very quickly. Thank you, Ruth McHaney Danner, for stitching love around the world and sharing it with us through your new book, Making a World of Difference, One Quilt at a Time, inspiring stories about quilters and how they have touched lives. To learn more, please visit ruthdanner.com, and on Facebook, that page is One Quilt. Thank you so much, Ruth, for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. 
Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about finding peace, mindfulness, and practicality in old-fashioned community-based hobbies. And with me in the studio now is Barb Webb, who makes me smile because she's written an absolutely delightful book entitled Getting Laid, Everything You Need to Know About Raising Chickens, Gardening, and Preserving. Barb Webb is a sustainable living expert nestled in Appalachian, Kentucky. When she's not chasing chickens around the farm or engaging in mock Jedi battles, she's writing about country living and artisan culture. Welcome, Barb. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I am, too, because I am wearing a grin on my face, you know, because getting laid is, of course, a very nice thing, and there are many ways to do it, and you're doing it through um, chickens gardening and preserving. Correct, yes. Um, we definitely went with a fun title, an attention-catching one, and that's, that is the book. It's very modern. It's uh, very relatable to today's world. It's not the Laura Ingalls grandmother's, you know, society anymore when it comes to sustainable living, and, and we wanted to make it very approachable. And you are, you are a grandma, by the way, but you're not I your grandma's grandmother. Yes, I have a beautiful, beautiful five-year-old granddaughter and... Um, Three children, who I have two teens at home still. <laughs> so it's very interesting. Whoa, whoa. Busy lady. Let's talk about eco-friendly organic living. These are not new concepts. As a child of the 70s myself, this was very big when I was young. And But we're coming back around, right? What's old is new again. Yes, exactly. I think, you know, having, I am a grandmother, so I've lived quite a while. Um, you know, we went through the excess of the 80s into this kind of uh, weird sort of 90s, and now we're coming into the 2000s where we're taking a step back, which is good, because in order to move forward, we often have to sometimes move back and uh, clear the noise um, of modern life and, and look at what's true, what's organic, what's authentic what we you know really should be doing and how we should be moving as a society and, and with technology that's difficult to do because everything moves at the speed of light right <laughs> exactly so. beyond the speed of light you know we we actually can't keep up which is a source of a lot of anxiety for some people right right and we've we've simply forgotten how to tune in um because of this we we have this mass flood of information coming at us constantly and we're expected to keep up with it but um, getting back to clearing that noise and taking a step backward to the things that we already know how to do um, is really enhances the quality of our life 
And when we talk about slowing down or, you know, and tuning in, we're talking about getting in touch with the, with the earth, with the environment, with our bodies. And what happens when we do? Well, when we do that, um, when we slow down, of course, we begin to find the things that we're desperately seeking for as we're focused on happiness, <laughs> which is a great quality and everybody wants to be happy. And if we don't take the time to nurture that, to get in touch with ourselves, to slow down, um, we don't find that peace, happiness, and tranquility that we're truly seeking. Um, if we take that time, you know, boom, the light bulb goes off. Joy is present <laughs> when, when yes. we actually pay attention to the universe and what's going on around us, and we're not trying to compete with all the noise that's happening out there. I had a little experience yesterday. I mean, I have a zillion experiences, as do we all, but I, 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 I run at a pretty high pace around here, and I had a few minutes the other day, and it was very warm, you know, unseasonably warm here at the beach in the middle of winter, and I went and I got myself uh, an ice cream, and I sat in the sun and savored that baby, you know, and I felt so good afterwards. Oh, beautiful. It, it is so important to take that a meditation time, um, which is, you know, that quieting down and just enjoying the moment and not being in the past or the, the future as we tend to be. I came from a corporate background, so I worked 70 hours in the city um, before I moved out to the country, and I had no idea how stressed I was until I began to slow down and, and how much happiness was missing from my life because I did not take that time to be in the moment. I was always looking forward, what do I need to do next? And you talk about slowing down, and in your book you give tips for doing so. Talk a little bit about how the average person, whether they're living in the country or they're living in the middle of the city, might be able to um, apply the brakes or, or, or gear down. Sure. Well, I think what you did the other day is a perfect example. Um, it's just taking the time, uh, me time, which is not selfish at all, a little time to pamper yourself, a little time to enjoy something, a little time to sit, sit quietly or do a family activity is, is one of the easiest ways to sort of slow your life down. Um, crafts, I think what we're here to talk about today, too, the old-fashioned hobbies, um, maybe old-fashioned, but it's an excellent, excellent stress reliever to be involved in creating something. Um, and crafts extending out to gardening, which can be done on a windowsill in the city, I have the best of both worlds. I've lived in the city and on the farm, so I understand um, both dynamics. And uh, everything that you can do on a farm, you can literally do on a city just in a smaller scale. Even raising chickens. In Brooklyn, Even there are people chickens, that have yes. chickens. Yes, people are raising chickens on balconies now, which is, I mean, they make so many cool uh, setups. And you can actually have it if your apartment allows it. <laughs> of course, some condos don't. Um, but uh, backyard chicken raising and chickens are awesome because they're just full of life and zen and they have a little rhythm and they're so easy to take care of. It's one of my favorite hobbies. Um, obviously, I wrote the book on them. <laughs> yes, you are that you are the chicken growing queen. <laughs> <laughs> But let's talk a little bit about old-fashioned hobbies, because we're talking about, of course, raising chickens, quilting, canning, preserving, um, uh, knitting, crocheting, gardening, which is very, very popular. And, you know, I dare say even a spiritual practice for many. 
Oh, it is. It is. For me, it definitely is. That's I find my most zen in the garden um, because you really are taking that. You're forced to take that time to be in the present. You're forced to quiet down as you're tending to your various plants, and uh, it's a routine that has to be done daily. Uh, that that whole digging in the earth, you know, there's it's re- truly connecting with nature as we nurture these seeds to life. Uh, it's a beautiful experience. So that is uh, definitely, you know, a great old-fashioned uh, activity that remains popular. But it, it's, I think there's a, a kind of a stigma about these old-fashioned hobbies that needs to go away because really you can update all of these methods to suit your modern lifestyle. Uh, for example, in um, Preserving, and I have an entire chapter devoted to this in the book, alcohol preserving is, is sort of a thing of the past, but it's a very fun thing to do in the present as people enjoy cocktail parties and, or even you know, making your own teas and things like that for uh, other events. So there's a lot of things you can do, or even if you want to knit, you, know, you can knit Star Wars caps for your kids. It's not that it has to be old-fashioned. We don't have to do quilts that our grandmothers did we can take this and take all of our modern needs and and desires and uh, likes and bring it and incorporate it into these activities barb let's go back to that alcohol preserving for a minute (laughs) okay like we're talking about you know fruit infusions uh what it is is preserving foods uh, primarily fruits are, are very popular to preserve with alcohol. And that is a process that was sort of forgotten over time um, as new canning methods came in. And, of course, we now pressure cook and boil can most of uh, preserves. But alcohol was one of the original preservation methods. Uh, and you can do some really fun things with it now in the modern world. So perhaps you like flavored vodkas, you can flavor your own. Uh, very easily. Uh, you can make vanilla uh, by using alcohol bases. There's there's so many things, um, fun things, modern things, you know, that are, like I said, if you, you throw a party, you know, you can have your own little uh, Bailey's, uh, not Bailey's because it could be yours, but you could make your own Irish cream um, for these events. And it's just a very fun thing to do. It's a very, um, you know, there's pride in that too. There's some, hey, I did this, I made this, and I'm sharing it with you. Well, it's delighting me. It's putting a smile on my face because I also see like the gifting aspect of this. You know, you handcraft something that is, um, you know, a little party product <laughs> and yeah. you can you can you can share this goodness and it's not expensive and you really do feel good about yourself. I, 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 I got it. Oh, I do, and and that my friends love bourbon cherries, which is so easy to do. Uh, you know, can them in uh, cherries and alcohol, and and gift them at the holiday seasons, or take other fruits and put them into various alcohols, and you can make pies out of them uh, to to bring to events, and that's really a very popular treat. So that's all in my book, but um, <laughs> you know, these, so like these a drunken are really pie? fun modern things to do, but they're based on very old tried and true methods. This is this is adorable. I mean, not I mean, adorable is probably not the right word. This is fabulous. 
you know, that the idea of, you know, crafting these things and, and, and sharing them, which it brings me to another angle of all of this. We're going to go to a break shortly, but before we do, I want to talk about how it strengthens community, you know, how we can begin to reconnect not only with ourselves, but with others, which we know by fostering and taking care of um, good, intimate, connected relationships, we become happier. Yes. Um, the, the great thing about um, doing your, your crafts and your gardening is you can involve other people very easily in, in many ways. Um, gardening is, is a real obvious, easy one. Uh, starting a kind of a community garden or even just with your friends or your neighbor. Um, my neighbor and I, we, we garden various things and we share our produce with each other. So that's kind of a neat exchange. You know, we come over and we have coffee and, and I'm bringing you know, tomatoes and they're giving me peppers kind of thing. So that's, you know, definitely strengthens our bond um, as, as people as we sit down and have these conversations while we're exchanging things. But there's other things like, you know, um, we're going to need to go to a break. Barb, I want to go to a break. And when we come back, I want to share more about this, this, this community nurturing, because this is really important to learn more about Barb Webb and her book, Getting laid, everything you need to know about raising chickens, gardening, and preserving, please visit ruralmom.com and sustainablechick.com and on Twitter at Rural Moms. And Facebook is actually Rural Moms as well. Here come the tunes. We will be right back, and that's a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? It's kind. It's free. It's legal. And we're talking about something pretty cool, about finding peace, mindfulness, and practicality in old-fashioned community-based hobbies. And my guest in the studio today is Barb Webb. She is the author of Getting Laid, Everything You Need to Know About Raising Chickens, Gardening, and Preserving. And prior to the break, we were talking about the community aspect, how when we create craft and share our wares, share our goods with others, that it creates really a, a 
a lovely sense of nurturing, caring, and loving for one another, which we know creates more happiness. It's a positive contagion, if you will. Absolutely. I think we left off on, on talking about quilting clubs and um, other such things, and, and the, or, or you know, even scrapbooking clubs or whatever craft um, people uh, tend to like. We, we often isolate ourselves, and, and that's due to technology. You know, we're on Facebook all the time, we're texting. Uh, we may pick up the phone, <laughs> which seems to be a little outdated these days, but um, we're very isolated often, and bringing together people with common interests, we have that social interaction that is so greatly missing in our society, and even involving our children in this process, too. Uh, for example, we have a baking club locally, and my kids come, and other people's children come, and we're teaching them life skills uh, baking, which is a wonderful hobby, um, but they'll take those skills on to adulthood. And we're also building the community in the process. The kids have a common, you know, hobby now as well as the adults, and we're all getting together, you know, happy, very happy time, and, of course, enjoying some great treats in the process. So anytime you can bring the community into what you're doing, um, even things like, say, maybe you want to do solo crafting and you can put together but you can still share it. So, for example, I may make beauty products, and I have a section about that in the book, how to make beauty products from organic, uh, natural things that you have on hand. Well, you could have a girl's spa night. So you're still creating Ooh. all these things, or perhaps teaching your friends to create them when they come. And, yeah, everybody has kind of a pampered girl's spa night, get out a glass of wine, and you're going to have a happy, fun time. So. And there is something therapeutic, you know, it, it, it is the communing when people start to talk about what's really going on in their lives, which inevitably happens. You know, I, I have seen this in knitting circles that I've been to. I'm not a big knitter myself. I'm, I'm not good at it. But the <laughs> part of showing up and, and being in it is very therapeutic. It is. It is. You're, you're, again, you're taking time to be in the moment, taking time for yourself. Um, I'm not a good knitter either, but I would still have fun because you're going to have that bond. You're able to get a little stress out, maybe talk about, and, and sometimes even resolve problems you might be having by, by talking to someone who has a teenager and maybe having similar issues and has some great advice for you. So there's, there's so many aspects to this connection um, that we're not going to get by isolating ourselves or just, you know, doing our nine to five and coming home. Um, so anytime we can get out and, and build a stronger, better community, that's fantastic for us. Um, you like to cook as well, is my understanding. Absolutely. Um, particularly <laughs> Irish cuisine, which I didn't know that those two words go together. So tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> they do. I believe Irish cuisine is the most undervalued, underrated cuisine out there. Um, I am Irish, obviously. And I come from that background. And uh, my grandmother, of course, was one of the best cooks ever and uh, in traditional Irish methods. I've also been to Ireland and learned from some chefs and uh, over there. It is a wonderful um, – the Irish, Irish folks are very into uh, gardening and using the resources around them. So it's very – when we talk about farm to table, that is one country that has that down pat. Um, no matter where you go, um, in fact, there are laws against using, they cannot have GMOs or other products, and they use very few external products in that sense. So even at the restaurants, when you go there, everything is cooked to order. It's uh, not pre-prepared. It's not sitting there. So it's a very different 
culture and a very different climate and something I'd love to see happen in the States, and I happen to do it in my own home. Um, as I live that lifestyle on a farm, I use every single you know natural local resource I can possibly do to feed my family when possible. And so most of my recipes come from that mindset. There's over 100 recipes in the book that I've shared with people that have come from my past. Some were, um, some were ones that I replicated from my grandmother um, and some that I've uh, you know, naturally come up with throughout the years. But that is, that is what I'm talking about when I talk about Irish cuisine. Um, and even the Irish food movement is moving into an upscale. There's uh, places like Cork that are very famous now for um, – uh, you know, actually contributing to sort of the French scene and, and coming up with new culinary delights. Fascinating. Because, you know, who would have thunk it? I mean, I definitely do not. It's like somebody says to me, you know, British food. Uh, so I put it in the same category. It, but although I do know that this is all, the, the, the culinary delights of British food have come along greatly in the last couple of decades. And I'm, I'm now assume that the same has happened with Irish food. Yeah. Oh, sure. You're thinking of fish and chips and shepherd pie, right? I mean, that's, right. Well, that's what we used to think of, but that's changed. Irish, which is really not an Irish dish, but um, uh, that's, that's an American version of an Irish dish. But what about the cost savings too? I mean, we're talking about you know either farming or are cultivating our own food products. And then you also mentioned about sharing them and exchanging. There is a huge cost savings, which many of us, when we start, don't necessarily think of this in the more urban areas, although in the rural areas, it may be a necessity. Right. Um, and it is. We obviously have less access to things out here. So growing your own food is a virtue. Um, raising your own you know, meat is a virtue. Um, you know, so everything that comes in is going to up our, you know, eco footprint tremendously because it has to travel to get here. So buying local and using local products, um, but in any area, not just in rural areas, you know, there are tremendous savings to the community, to the world by doing this. And it, it is the same in a urban community Um Things may travel a little less to get there, or there may be, you know, bigger shipments. But again, you're reducing your eco footprint every time you buy local, every time you source local at your farmers markets, which cities now have glorious, beautiful farmers markets that they did not have in the past, and um, or even raising your own. You know, there are tremendous savings to that. For example, tea. And I have a lot of friends that I've taught to make their own tea. And uh, it's pretty fascinating that. experience. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's so easy to do. You would be so surprised. And the savings in that alone, you know, are significant. Maybe you can go pick up a box of tea for $5, and it might cost you $5 to grow all of your own ingredients. You know, but there's also another value in that, in reducing your stress and having this hobby and, and having fresh organic ingredients that you know you have done which also reduces your eco footprint because they're coming straight from your house wait, wait, hang on one second here going back to, to growing your own tea you know one does not need vast fields of, of land to grow your own tea not at all and I have a section in the book on that too for anybody that's interested um, in what to grow how to grow how to combine them into wonderful teas uh, it, it's you can do it on your windowsill and a lot of things that you're going to use in some of the teas, like, for example, orange peel. You know, you're going to buy your orange, eat your orange, and 
grates the peel to use later and store that and dry it. So it's not always just uh, it's, it's using the resources that you may have available to you in your own cupboard already. Wow. Because you can use dried herbs as well. You don't have to grow your own herbs. You can use dried herbs that you purchase from the store. Um, if you want to go the organic route, which most of the people that I interact with do because I'm in the sustainability field, um, you know, growing your own, of course, you can control what's happening there. And fresh ingredients, there's nothing. I can tell you right now <laughs> from experience, there is nothing like a fresh cup of tea versus something that you got out of a little package in the store. Well, I might have to uh, do a windowsill version of tea growing because I, I am I am definitely interested. I am a tea drinker, and I had never known that you could do it so easily and on your own. We are out of time, Barb Webb. What a what a pleasure! Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insight into finding peace, mindfulness, and practicality in old-fashioned community-based hobbies. To learn more, please visit RuralMom.com and SustainableChick.com. The book, once again, is Getting Laid, Everything You Need to Know About Raising Chickens, Gardening, and Preserving. And on Twitter, visit Barb at Rural Moms. And on Facebook, guess what? Rural Moms is the page. Here are a few things before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my amazing and fun guests today, Ruth Danner and Barb Webb, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And by the way, Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and make it a good one, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.